0: In the early morning hours of March 18, 1990, two men disguised as Boston police officers knocked on the door to the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in the Fenway neighborhood. They told security there was some sort of disturbance outside and they needed to check the building. The two guards were later found handcuffed and duct taped in the basement. For 81 minutes, the two men wandered freely throughout the century-old museum, ultimately stealing 13 priceless works of art.
1: When the thieves finally left the museum, packed up the car, and drove off down Palace Road, they pulled off the biggest art heist in world history. Now, we still don't know where the artwork is.
2: We believe that over certain periods of time, this artwork has been spotted. There have been sightings of it, confirmed sightings.
3: The idea that the paintings are not where Mrs. Godwin left them, regardless of who has them right now, is frustrating. There's only one place that this art belongs, and that's on the walls of the Gardner. And until it's there, um, we're never going to give up looking for it. Now, tonight, I spoke
1: to an attorney who said his client can not only identify that mystery man, he can link him to a notorious art thief.
4: I think he went there the day before to case the joint for the people that came the next day.
0: From Boston 25 News, this is New England's Unsolved podcast of cold cases, crime files, and questions waiting for answers. On today's show, we'll take a look at the Isabella Stewart Gardner heist and the hunt for priceless works of art stolen in what's been called the largest single property theft in history. few crimes have worked their way into modern culture and entertainment the way Grand Theft has. This painting is worth a hundred million bucks. I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. Whether it's a bank robbery, an armored car stick-up, or an elaborate art heist, it's complex capers like this that top the list of enthralling misdeeds across centuries, even millennia. Wall and waltz right out the front door. But in Boston, one theft is nothing more than a black mark on the face of a woman's benevolent legacy. Isabella Stewart Gardner built her museum, an Italian-style palazzo, shortly after the death of her husband. She had been acquiring her collection while traveling the world after the death of her only child. The boy died of pneumonia just shy of two years old. She was later told she would be unable to have any more children. Perhaps it's the loss she experienced that drew her so strongly to the enduring masterpieces she left to be enjoyed by generations after her.
1: The Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum stands as it has for more than a century, in the Fenway, a guardian of a bygone time. Within these walls is a remarkable private collection, some of the finest artwork ever created, Much of it displayed here still, according to the will of Isabella Stewart Gardner, in their original places, forever, for the enjoyment of generations of Bostonians. But in 1990, as St. Patrick's Day gave way to March 18th, two thieves disguised as police officers talked their way into the Gardner, overpowered two security guards, disabled the security system, and had the run of the
0: Gardner Museum for 81 minutes. Today, empty frames hang where the stolen paintings were ripped from the walls. The thieves took 13 total works of art. The most notable thefts were two paintings, The Storm on the Sea of Galilee, which is best known as Rembrandt's only seascape, and The Concert, one of only 34 paintings in existence by Johannes Vermeer. The rest of the loot included another Rembrandt, a painting called Chez Tortoni by Edouard Manet, a painting and some sketches by Degas, a small etching by Rembrandt, a type of Chinese chalice, and a bronze eagle. While the thieves took their time during the theft, they weren't gentle. The eagle was ripped from the top of a flagpole, and the largest paintings were cut from their frames.
5: I mean, I think one thing we know is that the thieves did not know a lot about art. They cut two of the Rembrandts out of their frames. I mean, If you know anything about paintings, if you know anything about artwork, you knew that that could damage these works forever. Uh, so I think we know that these thieves did not know a lot about art. Uh, and I think we also know that they were, you know, these sort of run-of-the-mill criminals. They knew how to handle guns. They were yeah. very confident in the way that they robbed the museum. You could have committed that robbery in eight minutes. They spent over an hour.
0: That's author Ulrich Boser. In 2009, he published a book about his time investigating the Gardner theft. He spent years continuing the work of an art crime investigator who left Boser his notes after his death in 2005. Those tracked leads to Britain, Ireland, and countless towns across New England. But he, like the FBI, has never been able to definitively pin the crime on anyone. Though the investigation has been active for nearly three decades, the federal investigators working the case have remained tight-lipped. The FBI has only granted one on-camera interview to explain everything they know about the case, and it happened when Special Agent Jeff Kelly sat down with Bob Ward in 2014.
2: When this case initially went down, the suspect list was pages long. And over the last 24 years, we've really been able to whittle
0: that list down. Sketches of the suspects were made shortly after the theft based on descriptions provided by the guards. But as time wore on, police have shifted their focus from the perpetrators to the artwork itself.
3: Uh, That's correct. The Gardner Museum, the FBI, the U.S. uh, Attorney's Office has long been clear. They are uh, looking to get these paintings returned. They're not looking for a prosecution. They're not looking to put someone in jail. They're looking to get these masterpieces back to the museum up on the walls where they belong, on the
0: walls of the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum. But part of the mystery surrounding the theft has only mounted as a handful of suspects connected to it were killed in the years shortly after. In 1991 alone, two men believed to have been connected to the heist were found dead in car trunks. Then a prime suspect who matched one of the police sketches was found dead of cocaine poisoning. Four years later, the friend of a man long suspected to have been the other thief was shot to death in the stairs outside his apartment. And that's when the investigation began to focus on certain figures from the Boston underworld. This Dorchester auto
1: garage is four miles away from the Gardner Museum. But it is a world away from the opulent home of the missing artwork. Yet it is here that the investigation takes Special Agent Kelly in the years after the heist. In the 1990s, organized crime figure Carmelo Marlino ran a business called TRC Auto Electric Autobot. And it is here that two FBI informants reported back that Marlino had plans for the biggest piece in the Gardner heist, Rembrandt's Storm on the Sea of Galilee.
2: Uh, There was one uh, instance where he was um, talking to an informant that he was going to return the storm on the Sea of Galilee, which is one of the stolen pieces, Rembrandt's only seascape. He was going to actually return it to the museum that weekend and collect the reward. To this day, do you think that was legitimate, that he did have access and he did intend to turn in the storm on the Sea of Galilee? I think it's a definite possibility that he he was involved at that time.
1: But the artwork was never turned in. Instead, Merlino and his crew were arrested in a foiled armored car heist in Easton in February 1999. The feds busted the scheme just before it went down, seizing an arsenal of high-powered weapons, even masks and disguises. Carmelo Merlino died in prison. Do you believe Merlino stole these paintings? We believe that Merlino is a person of interest
2: in this case, and uh, we believe that's a strong possibility that he was involved in it, whether he involved in the actual theft or was he was in possession of them down the road or had access to them again this is one of those times when the paintings disappear you know they surface at various times through the years
5: it is fascinating and a lot of the people that we've seen connected to this case over the years you know some of them have been killed some of them have gone to jail and i think the mystery lies within there within this network of of people who are connected Uh, to this theft. Again, you know, these are theories, but I think the FBI made it very clear that they know a few years ago these paintings came up for sale. And that means that these paintings are still in existence. I think it suggests that the paintings uh, are probably all together. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, what happened next, we don't know.
0: The thieves had taken the security camera tapes and destroyed most of the other security equipment, only forgetting that one system stored data on its own hardware just leaving behind enough evidence for police to trace their steps through the museum. But what do petty thieves do with world-famous pieces of art? How do you turn something the whole world is looking for into something you can spend?
5: Sure. Well, I think you know, one thing we have to be clear is that there is no Dr. No, there is no Mr. Evil who's collected these paintings and he lives somewhere in the Caribbean and, and looks at the Rembrandt late at night with a, a snifter of scotch. I mean, that's Hollywood. That's the Thomas Crown affair. We've never found any evidence of that. You know, usually what we see in these types of art thefts is, uh, you know, just run of the mill crooks, right? They're aging mobsters, right. aging mobsters. They're out of work drug dealers and they steal these paintings because they're valuable.
0: Various members of the New England underworld have been associated with the paintings over the years, even including notorious crime boss Whitey Bulger. And while some investigators believe they know who the original thieves were, the investigation now is more about finding the paintings. In her will, Isabella Stewart Gardner stipulated that nothing in the museum could be moved, changed, or replaced, so the frames will remain empty until they're filled again. But in 20 years, promising leads hit dead ends, and investigators the world over lost themselves in pursuit of the artworks. But little in that time compared to the steps investigators have taken in just the last seven years. The reward has been raised, billboards were plastered across New England, and FBI agents swarmed a Connecticut home hoping to turn up evidence that would be the turning point in this story. What they found after the break.
5: Boston 25 News at 10. Good evening, I'm Mark Ackerblow.
3: And I'm Vanessa Wells.
5: Every night, live with breaking news. We are following developing news. Chief Meteorologist Kevin Lemanowitzs forecast so you can plan ahead. This heavy rain's on its way late tomorrow afternoon. Exclusive investigations, telling you both sides of the story. How do you explain this level of incompetence?
4: Viewers reached out.
5: No one has been held accountable. More reporters making sure you know what's happening in your neighborhood.
2: We're live in Salem. Live in Watertown. Live
5: in Boston. Boston 25 News at 10. The FBI clearing off of Francis Drive just a short time ago, but they spent the entire day here at the home of an alleged mobster looking for any signs connected to the Gardner Museum heist. They brought out ground penetrating radar, search dogs, but at the end of the day, it doesn't appear that any
3: of the artwork was found.
0: In 2012, the FBI turned Robert Gentile's Connecticut home upside down. Agents from New England dug up an old pool in the backyard, used radar devices to scan the rest of the property, and rifled through the aging mobster's basement. They didn't find the artwork, but what they did find has kept Gentile a central figure in the investigation ever since. Gentile has been connected with several of the Gardner theft suspects over the years, but it wasn't until that search that their suspicions and allegations were made so apparent. Investigators seem to be pressing Gentile harder in recent years, as the aging mobster is now 80 years old and in failing health. The time to uncover what he knows about the case could be running out. Again, Special Agent Jeff Kelly. We do know that Mr. Gentile would possibly have information that could help us
2: in the recovery of these paintings. And that's, uh, that's why we approached Mr. Gentile for his assistance. And what happened? Uh, he claimed to have no knowledge of the Gardner heist or the stolen artwork. Do you believe him? Well, I can tell you that um, a search warrant was executed at his house uh, on drug charges.
0: A number of items were recovered. Some of them were, were a little puzzling for, uh, for being in his possession. In the basement of Gentile's home, the FBI turned up police uniforms, including badges, handcuffs, and scanners. But they also found a Boston Herald article from the day after the heist and a list of the artwork stolen with the value of each listed beside it. Well,
2: it was puzzling that a, a convicted felon uh, would have um, police paraphernalia in his possession, uh, a police badge, uh, clothing, articles of clothing with police and FBI insignia on it, handcuffs, scanners, two-way radios, um, tasers. These are, these are not common items. But similar items were used in the actual theft at the Gardner. That is, that is similar to how the, uh, the Gardner heist went down, yeah.
0: It wasn't until three years later that court documents would reveal more about the investigation into Robert Gentile. Here's one of our news reports from 2015.
4: Court documents reveal Robert Gentile allegedly told an FBI informant he knew the masterminds of a 1990 heist, but that's something he's repeatedly denied to a grand jury. Court records spell out a polygraph test during which investigators asked, did you know those paintings would be stolen before it happened? answer no did you ever have any of those stolen paintings in your possession answer no do you know the current location of any of those paintings answer no investigators say the test showed there's a 99 percent likelihood Gentile was lying also last week investigators revealed the two men who posed as the boston police officers to get into the museum to steal the paintings are both deceased
0: in the years after that search, the layers to this decades-long investigation were peeled back, and the search began to feel targeted, but a bit desperate.
4: They're, they're acting with a, a, an unusual degree of confidence here. I mean, they're, you know, they've, they've got it down. So the people that, that had this, the, the thieves, everybody is under surveillance right now. And right. You know, what they're also going to do is be putting some pressure, which they're doing, and they're going to wait and see if there's any movement. If somebody has this artwork in a garage... Uh, you know, underneath uh, you know their their home, and they start digging. They're going to be watching for this, and then they're going to move in, and they're going to effect an arrest. So what, what they're saying is, we're on to you. We're coming. Uh, it's your decision. Either come in and you know, return the paintings there's a possibility of you know, a reward or immunity right. here, but let's stir the pot.
0: We spoke with private investigator Tom Shamshak on his thoughts about the case and the investigation. But here's what we do know. The FBI is saying that an East Coast criminal
1: organization was behind this theft from the beginning, helped move the paintings out of Boston after the theft, and more than 10 years ago, some of those paintings were put up for sale. We, there have been a few names that have been floated out in the news. We know some of the people that the feds have been looking at. That's an awful lot of specific information. It really seems like not only are the feds shaking a tree here, they know which tree that they're shaking.
4: Absolutely. Uh, they're waiting for those apples to fall. And uh, I mean, they're to it and uh, they've, they've revisited these names, these people who some have passed on, some are still incarcerated. And uh, they've they've got the, they're laser focused uh, on this uh, this crime
0: family. The FBI maintains the Gentile knows something that could help them find the paintings, which they believe were taken to Philadelphia through Gentile's ties to the Cosa Nostra there.
2: Mr. Gentile was a member of um, Philadelphia LCN, and uh, from expanding our investigation and expanding uh, the world in which we're investigating, uh, we. Uh, identified a number of individuals who reported that they, they'd seen the paintings being offered for sale down in Philadelphia.
0: The FBI has since zeroed in on this Philadelphia connection, and author Ulrich Boser explains why. I think the, the lead is hap- because it's, it's really, frankly, one of the, the
5: best leads that we've, we've had. Investigators have uh, made some important connections, and, and you can draw those connections back to the people uh, who robbed the museum. In my book, I uncovered some new evidence that suggests that a a Boston mobster named David Turner was involved. Other people who've investigated this case have have fingered other mobsters. And when you put the pieces together, it suggests uh, that the paintings went through an organized crime network. Now, of course, we don't know where these paintings are today. So these are all theories until the paintings come home. But I think right now, uh, the FBI is looking some good evidence uh, that the paintings went south after they were stolen from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum.
0: After the search of Gentiles' home, the FBI posted billboards with images of the art all over New England, hoping someone would recognize them. They also released surveillance footage of a man being led into the museum by a security guard the night before the robbery. A Boston-area attorney announced publicly one of his clients knew who that person was and how he was connected to the heist.
4: This fellow was an antique dealer, and he dealt in antiques and other things, and I think he went there the day before to case the joint for the people that came the next day.
0: But even with details pouring into the public eye, the answers to the mystery, along with the artwork, remain hidden. Very often great artwork, highly
3: valuable, highly recognizable art, is stolen, and if it's not recovered right away, it's recovered a generation later. So we're at that point.
1: Anthony Amore is the Gardner Museum security director. He is working with the FBI to locate the stolen Gardner artwork, and he believes this investigation is on the right track.
3: I know the trail isn't cold. I know that I'm working very closely with the Bureau um, and the United States Attorney's Office on really strong information which gives me a lot of confidence for the future. I do believe this will be solved, In art theft hope springs eternal for a very good reason. It often takes years, decades, centuries for artworks to be returned. Art theft is a growing problem. We see organized crime increasingly get involved. We see terrorist groups increasingly get involved. But art, especially high-value items like this, do eventually get returned. We see one example. In the 1860s, some Union soldiers stole the Bill of Rights out of the Capitol in North Carolina. It took 140 years for that work to come back. I think we can and should remain very hopeful that the Gardner paintings will eventually be returned.
0: The Gardner Museum has raised the reward from $5 million to $10 million just until the end of 2017. And the U.S. Attorney's Office is offering immunity to those who provide information that leads to the return of the art.
5: We need people to come forward. We need people uh, to phone in tips. If they know anything at all, call the FBI, call the Gardner Museum, because the public is going to be key. The public is going to be key to solving this case.
0: New England's Unsolved is a production of Boston 25 News. It was created by Bob Ward, and the podcast is produced by me, Dalton Maine, with additional sound mixing help from Sean Anker, and archival assistance from Nicole Gordon. Songs from today's episode were composed by Whitesand and Mattia Cupelli. The opening theme was by Pond5. We'd like to thank the FBI and Special Agent Jeff Kelly for providing us with extensive information on this case. Thanks again to Mike Oliveira, the news director who greenlit this project. You can find images of the stolen art on boston25.com unsolved. The Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum is a beautiful place, and you can find more information about visiting at gardnermuseum.org.